Happy Easter, everybody. Hey, Overflow, a little love to you guys, a little Overflow, how's it going, you guys over there? We, uh, this is Easter. Easter is the end of a Lenten season, and uh, we have been through Lent over the last six Sundays. We've been reflecting, uh, thinking deeply about our spiritual journey, and this Lent leads us to a time of celebration, and so that's why we're here, and that's why we're giving away Starbucks cards and uh, Silver Oak. And that's why that you guys get to come into the front row. How's it going? You need anything over there? You got it? You need more sweet stuff? You need like cinnamon rolls, don't you? Did you get veggies in that plate? What'd you get? Uh, you need some coffee? Christian needs more cookies. David, David, where's David who got you those things? Cookies, get cookies. David, come over here, get coffee, get coffee orders from, wait, David, see if they want coffee. Not Christian, it'll stun his growth, but Keith and Yvette. Um, thanks, David. Did David know he was going to do that? <laughs> Anybody else need a job? We're celebrating. We cel- this is the pinnacle of our worship year, Easter is, because this is the celebration of uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And so in this Lent series, what we have been doing, you guys, is we've been part of this series called The Health of Your Soul. We've been considering in reflection during Lent, how am I doing? How, like, But no, really, like, how am I doing? Like, my soul, my body, soul, spirit, mind, like, the true me. How am I doing? And so we've we've done this series called The Health of Our Soul, Conducting a Spiritual Inventory, Stopping and Thinking. And each week, during the six weeks of Lent, we've been asking the question, the questions that would get us in touch with the state of our soul, so that we would be people who thrive, so that we'd be people who were all that uh, God intended us to be. And so uh, we've been asked this question, how am I doing? That's not a, a, a new question. Socrates was famous for asking a version of it. It's right here. I put it on the screen for you to read and be edified by. Um, If you know that quote, that's powerful. And then um, that was about 400 years before Jesus, um, but really like a thousand years before Jesus, King David had an important saying about this as well. And that's it right there. So you know that. Are you all moved? Is that it? You feeling warm? No, the Socrates quote in English is this. It's he said, the unexamined life is not worth living. You know that quote? And what he was saying was, and he was actually, this was on his trial for uh, corrupting the youth of Athens because he was asking the hard questions about what life was really about. Now, he didn't know Jesus, but, I, but he started, he was, he was famous for that. King David, 700 years before that, said this in Psalm 139, and this has been sort of the theme of our series in Lent leading up to Easter. Search me, O God. Like, let me do an inventory and know my heart Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive or hurtful way in me and lead me in the eternal way. Lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, God. Know what's going on in my heart and see what's in there and see if there's anything broken or hurtful or offensive and lead me in the way that I'm supposed to live. So that has been the reflection that we've been doing in asking questions. And so that brings us today because if Easter's the pinnacle of our worship life, then we are celebrating an incredible gratitude to God for our life. Did you hear that? We're celebrating with this gratitude, this upwelling of gratitude to God for all that he has done in our lives. And so the question this morning that we'll collectively talk with you about is, Am I practicing gratitude? That's our final uh, um, inventory question of this series before we move into the next series. Am I practicing gratitude? By the way, parentheses, 
You know, you're invited next week. We start a new series next week called No Fear. And we're going to talk about fear and anxiety and the way it gets in the way of us being all the people that uh, God wants us to be. So we're going to continue on with some really great topics going forward. But today, as we finish this series, am I practicing gratitude is the question that we want to ask. There's a very simple teaching that Paul has in uh, the book of Thessalonians. So we had Socrates, we had King David, we've got Paul, the Apostle Paul. He said this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at this simple teaching. Rejoice always, pray continually. And what does the last line say? Say it with me. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Thank you, David, for that. Thank you for serving. I'm going to need one, a little cream, half cream. It'd be good. As you go back and look at that text, actually, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This little teaching, he's saying, this is God's best plan for you. This is the best thing for your soul. How's your soul doing? Here's a little teaching. And in this, it's one of the many verses in scripture that ties together the health of our soul and the idea of giving thanks. And here it's also tied to the idea of joy and prayer or joy and interacting with God. So the health of our soul is about giving thanks. It's about joy. It's about interacting with God. And so we ask the question as we sort of end Lent, celebrate Easter, am I practicing gratitude? Because apparently the practice of gratitude is really good for our souls. One of my favorite things to do in all the world is to go to the movies, to watch movies. I love them. Every kind of movie you could possibly imagine I love. But you may be surprised, my favorite kind of movies are romantic comedies. Any romantic comedy fans out there? I love it. You know, there's like some goofy guy and some beautiful girl and they can't quite find a way to fall in love. And then somehow at the end, they fall in love. And it is beautiful and magical and there's some sort of music behind them. And uh, they kiss in a park and it's great. And that's the end. And uh, because I love movies and because I love romantic comedies, I've kind of, I realized I've tricked myself into giving myself a two-hour bandwidth. That's my like bandwidth. If I think, if I think about want to have a happy life, I want to do well in my life, I have about two hours that I can try really hard and then I get tired. Because I watch so many movies, I just think after two hours, right, that's it. You, have a, you meet someone, you have a problem, and you fall back in love, and you live happily ever after. Two hours, it's good to go. But what I realize is, after being married for longer than two hours, two hours is not going to cut it. <laughs> like, you can't just be madly in love after two hours. Like, like stuff happens. Life is hard. And, um, and I want to be, I mean, I think almost every human being wants to be madly in love. They want to be close and intimate with another person. And because we love movies and because we love music, I think we've tricked ourselves into thinking that that happens. It's just by circumstance, you just meet somebody and you fall in love with them and you're set forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But what I realize is, and is if you've been in a relationship longer than two hours, that is not how it works. If you want to be continually in love with someone, you actually have to practice being in love. You actually have to put in effort. There's disciplines that you put in your relationship so that you can be madly in love. And it takes way longer than two hours. But what's interesting is I think in almost all of our lives that we have this way in which we think that the world's going to happen and we're just going to react well and we're going to be people who are full of love. And in this context, we're going to be people who are full of gratitude. Things are just going to be so amazing and we're going to be so full of gratitude. But life and life circumstances change so often that it turns out that circumstances aren't what define people of gratitude or not. 
We actually have to make a decision. We actually have to try. You actually have to put effort in to be grateful people. And when you put effort in to be grateful people, you actually have, are people who are full of joy. One of my favorite authors and researchers, Brene Brown, um, she, uh, she's just incredible. She's a researcher and she's a scientist and she actually like studied the science behind joy. And she looked over like 15,000 things of evidence and she came to this conclusion that joyful people, wholehearted people, aren't people who just have great lives. There are people who have put in the practice, who have put in the discipline of practicing gratitude. They actually are people who don't just live life. They're not just optimistic people. They're people who, as part of their daily lives, have said, you know what, I'm going to make it a practice to reflect on my life and to be thankful for all the things that God has given me or that others have given me. That's science. That's incredible. And I'm glad that Brene Brown has figured out. I mean, Paul, 2,000 years earlier, said the exact same thing to the church in Thessalonica. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. That there's something that's so linked, so tightly linked from giving thanks by people who are in the discipline of giving thanks, that that actually fundamentally changes our soul. It changes our perception. It changes the way in which we engage and interact with other people. And so you think, oh, I want to be more joy-filled. I want to be more happy. I want to be more blessed. Well, the reality is it's not that circumstances are going to change. What changes and what the science shows and what Paul teaches is that it begins with a change in us. Having a starting point that, that we want to be thankful people. That's our posture towards other people. And if you think about it, think of your life. Think of all of the real life human beings who have cared for you, who have loved you for your entire life. Think of your parents. Think of your job. Think of your teachers. Think of your coaches and mentors. Think of the boss that didn't fire you and the boss that did fire you. Think of your employees. Think of your family, right? We all have real life human beings who have helped us be at this moment. None of us have been hermits all by ourselves and just showed up here. We all have had interactions with people that have allowed us to get to this point in life. And what a unique thing if we changed our heart instead of just being so bitter that things didn't work out the way or my kids are too screamy or whatever your issues are, these are mine. But if that, instead of that being the starting point, what if your starting point was, oh my goodness, I recognize all the things that people have done for me and we actually thank them. Not thank the universe, but thank them. Think of someone who actually cared for you. Like I think of my first boss who didn't fire me and should have three different times. And because he didn't fire me, I actually get to be here today instead of like selling chips or something like that. Like he did not fire me. And I go, oh, that's really cool. I'm thankful for that. But how different would it be if I actually stopped and called and said, Ed, thank you for not firing me. That was costly for you to not fire me and thank you. And what's interesting is when you actually thank another human being for something, there's this thing that happens, right? Your heart gets knit to them. Like you recognize your relationship has gone deeper and it's more intimate. You're not just using each other to get along, but, but that you recognize that there's this deep connection when you actually are thankful and you communicate that. So imagine we're relational people. We're made in the image of God. So imagine how much more would it be if we actually paused and thanked God. When we thank God, we don't thank the universe. We don't thank good thoughts. We don't just thank, we're not just blessed people, but the, the object of our thankfulness actually is a person. It's a being who is personal, who loves us and who sees us. And we are thankful to God. And what's interesting, we live in a context that's totally not religious. We, in fact, religious people we look down at, you know, if you go out to eat and you see someone like saying grace at dinner, you're like, nerds. You know, maybe that's just I do. You probably don't. But I never see anyone. I go, to, I go out to dinner with my Christian friends and we go, let's not say grace because it's kind of weird, right? What do we do? And then all of a sudden I go, grace is kind of stupid. It's kind of this rote thing. But the people who actually say grace, the people who do the discipline 
of every time they're about to sit down, they recognize all of life may be falling apart for me. But you know what? I actually have food in this moment to satisfy this thing. And I recognize that that's a gift from God and to say grace. It's a simple thing that us in our context seem to have just forgotten. A simple discipline like that begins to tune our hearts. When we wake up in the morning and we have a little time with God and we reflect, we think, God, thank you for all the things that you've given me. And we begin to write those things down. God actually uses our thankful heart to tune us and to tune our hearts towards him. And we become people who are not cynical or bitter, but people who are joy-filled and wholehearted. I love that passage where it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks. But it doesn't just say give thanks when things are good. It says give thanks in all situations. And how in the world do you give thanks in all situations? For life has really high highs and really low lows. But how in the world do we actually, in all situations, be people who give thanks? And the way that we do that is we recognize that we are thankful not because of our situation, not because of our circumstances. We are thankful people because we are the objects of God's love and God's affection. You are the object of God's love and God's affection. And circumstances change. People who've had the worst circumstances ever who understand that are people who are joy-filled. People who have the best circumstances but miss that are people who are bitter and depressed. It is not our circumstance that changes us. It's our position towards God is when our eyes are towards Him, recognizing that all of who we are is shaped by being the object of God's affection and love. And this Easter we come and we gather because we recognize that we, this God is not a mysterious God, but he's a personal God who became a human in the form of Jesus Christ, who taught the world what a true human being should look like. We recognize through the teachings of Scripture that we, um, that God loved the entire world. And through Jesus, through his death, God made a way for all humans to have access to God, to be in relationship with God, to not just know in our head that we're the object of God's affection, but to know and experience in our hearts. And even more so, to not just be people who soak up all of God's love, but what actually changes us is when we recognize that we have value and purpose. And when we are sent people, when we say God loves us and because God loves me, he wants to use me to bless the world, to be a blessing to the world in his name, then we will be changed forever. And it's that small little shift in our head with our relationships with real people and in a relationship with God that allow us to be the grateful people that God longs for us to be. So we are the affection of God's love. We're experiencing this morning the marriage of this idea of gratitude and Easter. It's a, it's a perfect marriage, really, when you think about it. We're the objects of God's love, the receivers of his affection. And then we celebrate one of the great things he did for all of humanity in coming alive from the dead. But it occurs to me as I'm thinking about gratitude and connecting it to Easter and resurrection, it occurs to me, especially when we pull back in this idea of us being the object of God's affection and love, that there are some among us, and I'm included, that would say, well, we're, yeah, but we sort of get 1A affection because if he really loved us, he would have made sure that we got to believe based on the same experiences that the apostles got to experience. Remember in John chapter 20, after the resurrection happens and Jesus is connecting with people and sort of reassuring people and caring for people, and the apostles are gathered in this room except for 
Thomas, he's not gathered in that room, and the apostles are in the room, and Jesus shows up, this is after the resurrection, he shows up right there in the room, right in the middle of them, and they're thinking, ah, it's a ghost, it's not a ghost. Here, feed me something. Do ghosts eat? Can ghosts swallow? And they give him some fish, and he eats, and they're absolutely, verifiably convinced that the one they saw killed is now alive. Those guys are the objects of his affection and love. He loved them so much, he made sure that they were sure that the resurrection happened for sure. And then they tell Thomas about it. John chapter 20, look it up. They tell Thomas about it, who was one of the 12, but he wasn't there because Thomas is saying, hey, if he's dead, I might as well die too. Walk in the streets. Well, the rest of them were hidden in this room for fear of the Jewish leaders, it says. Thomas comes in and he says, I'm not, or before he comes in, he says, I'm not going to believe that you actually saw him. I suspect there's a little bit of cynicism in there, but we don't know. I, here's when I'll believe it. You know, I believe Thomas was a post-enlightenment uh, 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 kind of dude. <laughs> Prove it to me first. I won't believe it until I get to put my fingers in the nail holes and my hand in the spear wound. When I can do that, then I'll believe what you just told me. So they're later on gathered together in the room again, and lo and behold, Jesus shows up again in the room, and Thomas is astonished. The rest must have been standing back there saying, and Jesus comes to Thomas and he says, hey, come here, Thomas. You're the affection of my love. You're the, you're, you're my, you're the object of my affection, the object of my love. Here, come here. I'm going to give you what you need. Put your finger right in there. And he does it. Here, Thomas, taking his robe, moving it aside, put your hand right in that wound. And Thomas does that, and as you could imagine, as we would if we got to experience that, basically falls on his face and says, Oh, my Lord and my God. One of the reasons I have gratitude today, certainly I love that statement, and certainly Easter reminds me to go back to 1975 when I was working on my dump truck, and I realized in a moment all by myself, I don't know, Creedence Clearwater might have been playing on the radio or something, you know, and I didn't have time to get up and change it to uh, Michael W. Smith, or I don't know. But, <clears throat> and I was sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, I've been thinking about this for months. I've been analyzing my soul for months. And I realized on that day, admitted there's a big difference between what I believe about God, who I believe Jesus is, big difference between what I really believe and what I live. And at that moment, January of 1975, I took the essential step of stepping over the line into faith, Christian faith. And I said, Jesus, let's do away with the difference. I'm going to follow you from now on. I'm yours please forgive me. I'm thankful for that. I have gratitude for that moment. But here's the thing I want to leave you with this morning. You are the object of his crazy, wild, reckless love. You know how you know that? Because Jesus, after Thomas made that profession, Jesus was forward thinking enough to think of all those 
for a couple thousand years afterward would gather in rooms to worship a resurrected Christ, having never had the opportunity to put their fingers in any nail holes or their hands in any wounds in the side. He says, oh, do you see and believe? That's really good. That's good, I'll take that. But blessed are those who are going to believe I never saw a stinking thing. Oh, we've experienced the presence of Christ. And you might say, wait, I, I object. I've experienced Christ. I've actually seen him through the work he's done. But none of us have stood there and fed him and looked at the wounds in his side and had a conversation with him and had that verifiable scientific proof of the resurrection. Yet, here we are. I have gratitude for what God has done in my life and gratitude for what I know he's done in yours. But he was forward thinking, thinking of every single one of us in this room and sensitive to the fact that we are asked to believe in a resurrected Jesus, not so much based on proof, based on hope based on faith, and he says, blessed are you because you believe having had it proven to you. But there's a special blessing for all of those who are going to believe based on hope, who grow up after the enlightenment, obsessed with proofs and believing in me having had none. Gratitude and Easter. Oh my, they really do go well together, don't they? And so it's been our practice to respond to the Lord in these, uh, these asking these questions. And so uh, if you were here all Lent, we gave you a challenge to maybe practice one of these spiritual practices during the week as a way to apply this topic. And so we put thank you cards on your, um, on your chairs. And we want to ask you, just as a community of faith, as the people of God, would you spend this week, first of all, would you think about spending this week practicing gratitude? Practicing gratitude for all that he has done for you. And for some of us, we may be in the, the darkest moments, really, of our journey, or one of them. And to find where God has brought this special blessing that Art was talking about, this, this blessing. Blessed are you who believe and have yet not seen. You don't have all of the proof, but you're living in faith in Christ. There's, there's, it, it, it takes an active spiritual engagement of that text, rejoicing and, and praying to be able to give thanks in all circumstances, to find out what's God still showing up and doing in me through me? What has he given me? And so would you be this week, just spend a week, maybe there's, maybe there's, we have somebody on our staff who has little bracelets that she moves from one side to the other. I don't know if it's five or 10 things she's grateful for, or three, or maybe it's one. That she, when she recognizes it every day, then she moves, when she realizes what she's grateful for, she moves it over to the other wrist. Would you be people of gratitude going from this Easter week and this Easter sermon? And the cards that we gave you we were gonna take. We're gonna take a few minutes right now. The band's gonna come back up and and uh, play a little bit behind us, or at least John will, I think. And go ahead, John, and um, and we're gonna end our time later in worship. But we're gonna take a few minutes and pause 
and talk to God about what we're grateful for and then use that card to write somebody a thank you note. Or maybe you want to write a thank you note to God. And so at the end of the day, you can go figure out their address and go mail it old school or you can keep it in your Bible as a way that you've reflected on God. So everybody grab one of those cards right now and uh, there's a pen. Everybody have one. What is it that you're grateful for? Let's begin practicing gratitude now and maybe you're going to just write a note to God for what he has done for you in sending Christ. So let's spend a good couple of minutes jotting down or at least beginning those thank you notes. And then I'll call you back together in a moment.